0: welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process.
1: Hello, y'all. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, and I'm so excited to begin this project of amplifying the voices and stories of the educators in our country, and I thought it would be the best possible first interview guest to be my lovely bride and I'd like her to introduce herself so tell me who you are and what you do.
2: Well hi I'm Melanie Dostal and along with being your spouse of 20 years I'm also a special education teacher and I've been doing that for around 15 years.
1: Well, Melanie, uh, I know a lot of people don't necessarily know how you and I interact with one another, but I do like to share when I introduce you that uh, uh, you sometimes uh, have a behavior plan or an IAP <laughs> written for me just because of my idiosyncrasies. Would that be uh, fairly accurate?
2: We're still working on it. Yes.
1: Okay. What yes. what what kind of accommodations uh, have you put in place for me?
2: Um, allowing you some processing time giving you a little bit of a heads up if there's a change in schedule, and a lot of uh, patience.
1: That sounds about accurate. Thank you for uh, sharing that with the world to uh, <laughs> to know that uh, I've got some work that I need to do, but I'm learning and growing. It's, uh, it's taken 20 years, it's a process, correct?
2: That's correct.
1: Okay. So Melanie, one of the, the reasons why I wanted to have you as the first guest on this podcast is because you have such a unique perspective, being a practicing educator and living with a high school principal administrator. And so you look at things in a very different way than other people, just because you have had the opportunity to see both sides of, uh, I guess, that, that mythical curtain. And so uh, when I approached you about this, Uh, as we were writing the book, Own Your Epic, because you are part of my epic and you are in all of my stories because you are a major character. You're my ride or die on this. We talked about this podcast. You said it was a great idea. And I'd just like to maybe ask you, what do you feel is so compelling about a podcast like this where we're talking to educators?
2: Well, I just really hadn't even ever listened to anything like that until the last couple of years where we got into the Dax Shepherd podcast, Armchair Expert, and then I compelled you to listen to them too. And then we both started listening and I really resonate with listening to people having a conversation. And so when you were talking about education and people's stories and how to own your epic, that being a sort of double meaning word, I think that allowing people to tell their stories is another piece of that sort of understanding and also feeling a connection to each other that I think is important and valid.
1: I'm glad you brought up that word connection because that's my one word for 2022. And I think that that is what kind of sparked this idea of starting a podcast in the first place is I want to be able to connect with people. And I think one of the things that you have taught me in this is throughout this entire process is to slow down and really put that emphasis on the connection side of it. And so I'm really looking forward as part of this podcast to be able to sit down and listen to other people's stories. And I'd like to know a little bit about more about your story. Uh, You... Uh, even though I already know a lot of it, I think our readers, our listeners might want to know a little bit more about it because you have a very unique story in that education was not your first line of profession. It was only after the fact. So why don't you tell everybody kind of what your story is?
2: Right. So my undergrad degree is actually in social work, and when I was doing that degree as a early... 20-something, I was just on fire for that work. For helping people, it's all about connection because you're connecting people to other people or to services that they need to grow and become more successful in their own lives. And through that, I came to work with people with disabilities. And so in our first five years of marriage, I was working for the state of Nebraska and doing work for their disability services And my favorite part of my week was when I got to go work with school-age kids and go to schools and be at IEP meetings. And we, you know, you were in on these conversations. I just always felt like that's, I wanted to stay. That was the work I wanted to be doing was with those students, helping them connect, um, choose paths that would help them, you know, meet their own potential. And you actually encouraged me as a teacher, hey, you should go back to school. And so as our you know story began as parents, we were also both in grad school and I did my master's degree in special education. And in 2005 started working at schools and the rest of that is my teaching history of, obviously we've moved along the way through your different positions. And I've always found a spot where I can work with uh, teenagers and young adults with special needs and help them own their own epic, I guess.
1: I, I laugh uh, with you quite a bit about this because we tell this story often, but um, and this is not a this is not a podcast for political banter or anything like that. but I do find it, very interesting that you actually got a pay raise moving from DHS into teaching because teaching typically is seen as you're not getting paid a lot for, as a professional, but you actually got a pay raise moving from uh, DHS to teaching.
2: It's true. It's true. Teaching, my first career was not as lucrative as a career in education. So, shout out to social workers. I feel like if there's ever a career as well aligned with the values of social work at special education because of the case management that we do.
1: Awesome. So I've got a script of questions that I, I feel like I'm going to ask all of my guests. And so I feel like I have a pretty good routine, but I'm going to step outside of that because uh, for this interview in particular because I know you so well. Plus, I think it's important for the listeners to know that uh, you are my sounding board for a lot of different things and you have always been great about being very blunt and honest with me. If an idea is terrible then you tell me it's terrible. If I word things maybe uh, the wrong way you tell me how to soften them up. Uh, You've actually made me a better person and I feel like it's important for people to know that. Uh, But at the same time I feel like I have assisted you in some, uh, some other things as well. We compliment one another but one of the questions I have to ask you is As a practicing educator, special educator, with a lot of paperwork and a lot of processes and procedures that you have to follow, what's the ideal time frame for a podcast?
2: Right. Well, first of all, thank you for that praise that... We're all about affirmation on the On Your Epic podcast. I know. Round of applause for giving me that little bit of praise. And I'm going to circle back to that because I do feel like I, over the years, have tried to soften you or... Uh, slow you down but in the same way you have toughened me up and made me stronger to feedback or speeding me up and so we do sort of balance each other out because it's a little bit of the tortoise and the hare the yin you and the yang charge 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 and I'm like wait let's think about it let's give give me a minute and so in that way we have really always sort of it hasn't always been smooth, maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> we have helped each other out. When I think about listening to an episode of anything, if if it's a conversation like this where you're listening to people, I think about, am I going to maybe take a walk? Am I going to put it on while I am doing the dishes or doing a load of laundry? And so I think around a half hour, 30, 40 minutes, is gonna be perfect for someone to be able to listen to a conversation, take a little tidbit from it, but also not have to shut it off and come back to it later.
1: That's great advice, Melanie. And you know that I subscribe to Happy Wife, Happy Life. So (laughs) uh, to all the listeners out there, you can hold me accountable now for uh, episodes of Own Your Epic Podcast being in in the range of 30 to 45 minutes. We will uh, definitely keep them to that point. I want to circle back and and ask you something that uh in re- in reference to what you just said about uh being able to slow me down when I'm always go 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 because you and I have very different personalities and you've actually shared that throughout our marriage you were a type A personality but part of our relationship was you having to maybe change a little bit because we can't have two type As in the same relationship why do you feel uh that your ability to teach me, because again, this is part of, my, part of my epic process of growing, you being able to teach me to slow down is actually a benefit to maybe people that I lead.
2: Well, I think that a lot of this comes from many of the different professional development speakers we've had, a lot of the work that we've done over the years since we've always worked in the same district, maybe not the same school, But all these different pieces we've put together where we're trying to find our purpose, we're determining our why, we're doing different personality tests. And so that first step, which you even talk about in your book of self-awareness, as we become more aware of who we are, we have to see how that fits in a system. And so if you know that you're the charge ahead kind of person, but that doesn't always fit with someone who needs a little more time or someone who wants to have an opinion about it, or someone who wants to debate you a little bit, you have to accept those pieces of the puzzle as well, or you end up in conflict. I, as a complete peacemaker, I want balance. I want people to just get along. I struggle with someone who really wants to debate or argue, and I have to constantly remind myself Not everyone craves that quiet or that peace like I do. And I can't make everyone want that with me because that's not how it works. And honestly, a system wouldn't work if we all just wanted peace and to get along because there would be no forward progress or it would be at a pace that's not, you know, you're not able to maintain. And so accepting that there are all these different roles and your role is very important, and my role is important, but we have to balance each other so that everyone feels like they're moving together.
1: So you have had the experience of working at the elementary level, the junior high level, middle school level, and the high school level. Based on what you just said, what is your perspective on those various different levels and how that working together looks? Because again my only experience at the high school and high schools oh high school i love it because of all the chaos and the mess that typically is involved there but i don't necessarily have that same person i don't have that perspective of the elementary or the junior high level so can you talk to us a little bit about what your experiences are at all three of those levels what's your perception of that
2: right well and you forget that i also have taught young adults so 18 to 21 year olds and when we were in Carney, and I was teaching those young adults, we were placed at the preschool. So I've also <laughs> uh, right. had forgot about that. quite a bit of experience with the pre-K world. So I really have experience, you know, as soon as I get birth to three in there, I'll have experience, you know, birth <laughs> to age 21. And I, when we worked at the preschool, they would say to me, oh my gosh, I can't imagine working with young adults and doing job sites. And I would say to them, I can't imagine working with three-year-olds and doing circle time. And we came to a consensus that aren't we blessed that there are all these different personalities that we don't all want to teach preschool, that we don't all want to teach high school. But there are a few stereotypes out there that really are so because they are true when you go to an elementary school and just the, um, the camaraderie, it's a smaller staff, they're all teaching all the subjects. So they're all sort of, you know, they're on different ages but there's just a different feeling when you're teaching those types of subjects versus a high school where it is compartmentalized, people are teaching their subject. And people fall into certain personality types of the subjects that they teach, which is a little bit funny to witness after all these years. But I think that what I've come away with is just, I'm so glad that we all have our different strengths. I wouldn't want to teach AP calculus. That is not my lane. And I'm glad there's someone who has that lane. And along with the fact that there's some people who shouldn't do what I do. And so I'm just... I'm glad that there's a place for each person and that they can even maybe kind of try some different things until they find that right fit for them. And as leaders, that's important to know. You're not going to put your best math teacher in a English classroom. You're not going to put your toughest, strictest coach in a certain other kind of classroom that needs a different approach and so i think that's um all part of that puzzle but over the years i have i've just come away with a gratitude that we all sort of have our different strengths
1: so true uh you and i've had conversations on a regular basis like when our kids were were young i love being around our kids i couldn't imagine having a room full of 25 of them I just, I couldn't, that's that's not my lane. So I always look at like elementary teachers as like, oh my gosh, you guys are saints for what you do. I look at special education teachers with all the stuff that you guys do, I'm like, I could never do that. Conversely, you have shared with me on multiple occasions, I don't know how you do what you do because I wouldn't want to do that. And so just having that mutual respect of everybody and what their role is and that, we're not necessarily working for somebody else, we're working with somebody else because we all are fitting into a specific uh, spot within the organization, I think is so powerful.
2: And if I can interrupt you for a minute, the other side of that is, I've noticed if you get into a comparison culture where people, whether it's different grades, different subjects, different classes if people start to compare their schedule with someone else's schedule or think someone else got an easier day than their day it really can create a lot of um, discontent with teachers that's one thing I've noticed a lot of years of people thinking oh so-and-so got such an easy day or that someone else has it easier because their kids already know this that and the other versus and so It's really important that in a building teachers feel like there's a balance to what teachers are doing in their day, but also that you not get stuck comparing yourself with other people because you just have to do the best with what you have and and you're going to be miserable if you're always thinking that someone else somehow got a better schedule or a better class.
1: Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. You and I talk about this uh, quite regularly that uh, culture in a school is so important, probably the most important thing. Uh, And before you can actually focus on the culture of your students, the adults have to come together first, because if there's a negative culture with the adults in the building, you can't expect your your students to follow along with it as well. And you just have that feeling, you and I have talked about that. You can walk into a building and know when a culture is good or not. It's just a feeling you have. And that's why it's so important that everybody in the building is working together and kind of rowing in the same direction so that the culture is, is, is at the forefront of everything that we do.
2: Yeah, and that they feel valued for the role that they're playing. As a special education teacher, If I have a class of 10 students who have pretty significant needs, I could compare myself to an English course where the students are all able to have these really deep discussions and get into really like higher level thinking and think that somehow what I'm doing is less important or that I'm not able to do as much. But if I stay present in what I'm doing and see the value in helping students grow from where they are, I don't feel any sort of Um, negative emotions about what I've chosen because I can find joy in the steps that we take and the progress that we make. And I'm not going to sit and compare myself to that other class. I can be happy that that teacher is able to, you know, make those students grow and learn. And I can be happy where I am with what I've chosen to do.
1: That's actually a really good transition to the next thing that I wanted to ask you, because, you know, we're obviously in a very difficult time in this country with the with the pandemic. Uh, more specifically, trying to teach students during a pandemic is is very difficult, and uh, mental health and well-being is so important, specifically for teachers because one, we have an issue where we are having a number of people who are leaving the profession, but we also don't necessarily have that pipeline of people who want to come in to the profession. And so the question that I want to ask you is twofold is what strategies are you employing to take care of your own mental health and well-being? And the second part of that is what advice do you have for others who are either in the profession or thinking about getting into the profession about why it's important to do it and the, 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 the joy that you get out of being a teacher?
2: Well I'll be honest I have felt really Fortunate that my base was in social work because that program knows that they're preparing people to go into a very stressful career. If you don't have work life balance, if you don't draw boundaries, you won't make it. And they don't want to graduate social workers who aren't able to help and work within the systems in place. And so a lot of our coursework was based on how you take care of yourself, how you present yourself how to handle stress, how to draw boundaries, how to leave your work at work. And sometimes I think that is a missing piece for teachers. They almost bleed education into their life where they're not able to leave it at school. A lot of teachers, and I mean... And, no, and administrators Administrators. Too. <laughs> oh gosh. And I I mean no disrespect, but a lot of teachers, if, if they're venting to me or talking to me about something that's really stressing them out or really it's something they've put on themselves. We are overachievers. We are often the ones who did well in school and like school. And so we're sort of trying to get an A at being a teacher. And so you and I have had this conversation about sometimes people who, if they would take one thing off their plate, if they would slow down, if they would think through what they are doing, what can you stop doing? What can you take off your plate? This right now, the culture of teaching and where we're at, we are not, this is not a sprint. This is not the 100. This is, we are in a marathon. What do you have to do? You have to pace yourself. You have to hydrate. You can't, you're not going to win this in one week. Just like, you know, this week we're going to be at home because of weather. People are upset about not meeting certain you know deadlines or goals that they had had sometimes you have to set some of that aside and it's going to be okay and sometimes i think that teachers put more on themselves even than the system or the leaders or the building does to them
1: it's so ironic that you're saying this because the listeners don't know this but i do know this about you you were the salutatorian in your graduating class so you were that student who was just rocking school. and for you to have a perspective like that where you're maybe not, I mean, I know you want to get like an A in teaching, but that's not what's driving you. As compared to me, who was not the salutatory <laughs> was probably more in the, the B and C range. And now I'm the one who's just constantly going and you are the one who is kind of settling me down. I just think that is very ironic. It is
2: funny. I just, as we've, you know, gone through a lot of different experiences, we've moved, we've met a lot of different people. I find that my step one is the relationships I have with the people in that building. And so whether it's the students in my classroom, whether it's the neighbors on my hallway, if people feel good and they know you're there to care, the the lessons and the content that that comes next. And so if I'm late starting my lesson because I'm sitting on the floor outside my room with a student who can't bring themselves to come in and I wait for the counselor to get there, or if we have to, I mean, I paused a full month's lesson one year because some students had some serious concerns about our building and the way that they were perceived. We still did ELA, we still met the standards, but I had to set aside what I thought we needed to do, and luckily as a special education teacher, we can take those left turns sometimes for kids, but I just have come, the older I get, to value more the relationships I build and how people see why I'm there than what I'm trying to teach or what I think they need to know.
1: That's awesome. And that's actually another great transition into kind of the final question. Well, it's probably not the final question, but it's going to be one of the final questions. So, you know, as part of the Own Your Epic process is uh, two of the processes are to curate and cultivate your stories because they are the ones that are like the foundational pieces of how you live your life, whether positive or negative. What is... Or what do you feel is that one story that you constantly think of that really helps shape you into the person you are today
2: it's hard for me to pick one story because there have been so many small steps along the way and now that we are 20 years into this i feel like there hasn't been that one moment but the constant for me, I would say, has been our goal together of what we wanted to achieve as a family. And so our core value, I would say, is family. And the fact that we had these two kids, we've built had a home together, that we have these goals of trying to make education A priority in our life and so I would say the decision that we made together to go into teaching and that period of time where I was applying for grad school I mean I can still remember studying for the GRE and I took that photo Brenna's on the bed she's a newborn (laughs) and I have the flashcards out for the GRE words
1: and you beat me on the GRE I did I
2: did I I still take that. Still
1: still stuck with me (laughs) years later.
2: And so and then, you know what, it just popped into my head. Um, Someone from long ago said something once like, you know, Mel, if I had had your brains, I would have I would have made some money with that. I would have done something. And so you and I made a decision early on that no decision we've made has been based on that, has been based on money or wealth or, I mean, I think we had a financial advisor make that joke to us once.
1: Yeah, and as you were as you're saying that, the uh, Taylor Molly spoken word <laughs> yeah. poem of yeah. what teachers make is yeah. going in my head, which by the way, listener, if you have not seen or heard the Taylor Molly what teachers make spoken word slam poetry, performance, look it up on YouTube because it summarizes what Melanie just said there about, listen, this isn't about the money. People who go into education are wired differently. If they weren't, we wouldn't have any teachers because, again, money does not drive us. What drives us is the relationships and the growth that we see in kids knowing that it's going to improve our future. And uh I am so blessed to be able to work, to to work with amazing teachers who do that on a daily basis and I'm continually in awe of the impact that they're having and that and that includes you Melanie. I mean if you you and I have talked numerous times about students that you have worked with who have either significant emotional stress, trauma, learning disabilities, and just seeing that incremental progress, what, what would seem as kind of minute and is definitely not going to show up on a standardized test, is definitely not going to show up in a lot of these metrics that schools are ranked on, but they grow. And seeing that is what drives us every day. And you are in a front row seat as, as well as all these educators of seeing that growth. What does that do to you as a person? How's that? That's got to fill your bucket.
2: It does. It feels really good. And I, I feel really great knowing that I have, I have some young adults who have reached out to me later. We don't, we're not Facebook friends, but a message will come through. Hey, I got this job at this place or, oh, I'm taking this class. And these are things we talked about that they could do that it might not be at the same timeline as some of their friends. But if you keep making the the progress, taking the steps, you will get there. And it's really fun to know that they, they made their progress. And not everyone's running the same race. Not everyone has the same finish line. But you can feel fulfilled on your choices because you, I helped lay that foundation. And I have one student who we have, we, chat back and forth quite a bit, and she'll say, I remembered what you said, Miss Dostal. I didn't walk out. My boss made me mad, but I, you know, and so I remembered those lessons. And at the time, they probably had made that choice, and we probably had a pretty difficult conversation about what that looks like. But years later, when the maturity has caught up with, with them and, and they're processing what they learned how many years ago, my voice is still in their head, and and that means something.
1: Your voice is always in my head.
2: <laughs> well, that's <laughs> and, it's in your and, house, and, so. and, and and that and that means
1: something to me, <laughs> Melanie. We are actually at the uh, the end time of the podcast, based off of the time frame that you gave me. So I told everybody to hold okay. ca- hold me accountable to this. Uh, before we go, is there is there something else that you would like to leave this podcast on for the people who are listening to this, specifically educators who are listening to this. What, what's, the, what's the best piece of advice you got for them?
2: I am in no position to give any advice to anyone, but I will say that something that helps me is staying present, taking one day at a time. And my good friend, Abby and I, we work together at Millard South in Omaha Every day when we were saying goodbye, we'd say, well, we'll try again tomorrow.
1: The best advice, best advice. That's, that's amazing. And I can't think of a better way to end the first own your Epic podcast with.
2: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. And thank you for being a part of this. You know, this, uh, this, I wouldn't want anybody else to start a podcast with other than you, because again, and I, and I mean this sincerely, and I'm going to, Again, I'm going to go back to affirmations and end on a good thing. You have made me a better father, a better husband, a better leader because of your constant encouragement and affirmation for me. And I, we joke all the time that um, I'm my own worst critic. You're not going to take that job from me. There's nothing you can say that is that I haven't said to myself and you know, I'm making myself... Feel worse about myself because I put that pressure on me, but you have over the years been able to uh, help me reshape and rethink that. That to the point where, uh, again, I'm like the sign above my desk. I'm not pizza. I can't. I can't please everybody. And so uh, I thank you for being a part of my epic and continuing to be a part of my epic epic as we continue to write these stories and for the listeners out there i hope that you found this to be an enjoyable 33 minutes and 30 seconds of your time and i will make sure that i will try to stay within those boundaries moving forward but i really hope you will join me for future episodes of the own your epic podcast thanks everybody
0: Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.